Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that's been telling you that the world is pretty much about to end for like eight or nine years now. And now that it finally looks like it is ending, mm-hmm. uh, we are looking like profits. And we're not we're not raking in much in the way of profits, though. And by the way, folks, we're a little short on this broadcast. Please, if you've never given money to our fundraisers, somebody who hasn't done it, do it. Because we're getting donations from the same old people every time. Okay, that's the last, last I'm going to ask for your money. I hate doing that. Uh, here we are with Dr. E. Michael Jones of Culture Wars, the guy to bring on uh, the day after the world ended, or at least the world as we know it. How are you doing, Mike? Good, Kevin. Good to be here. Yep. Well, let's get going. We're going to question everything, and uh, especially mainstream media pablum and conventional wisdom. And the next slide tells you that we're not medical doctors. No, it tells us tells you that we're very disturbing and uh, we're just frightening, scary people. And you probably uh, should look away. And then the next slide tells us that, uh, again, your medical and mental health problems are your own business to practice, you know, to deal with your own practitioners. And uh, we're very expensive. If you wanted us to cure those problems, uh, you probably couldn't afford us. So so go elsewhere. All right. Enough disclaimers. Here we are at the Ukraine money law. So you notice that the you know money isn't worth much anymore. Inflation is out of control. They're printing so much of it and throwing it to Zelensky in Ukraine that there's really not much left for the rest of us. And what there is isn't worth anything. Um, uh, Mike, how, how much is this money printing, do you think, responsible for? And let's move on to the next slide here. The, uh, the stock market implosion. Air travel has been canceled. Gun sales are soaring. It looks like it's the apocalypse. Do you think that it's partly because they printed too much money? It's part, sure. It's partially because of that, but it's like, it's going to be a replay of the seventies too, because the sanctions against uh, Russia have now caused uh, soaring energy prices, which also happened in the seventies. So it's like the perfect storm. Uh, all of these things are coming together. So it must be God behind it. How else could you explain something this good? <laughs> the, the, the Democrats steal the election and then uh, they put a person in, plan, in in power who will bring about the end of the American empire. Who but Allah could have planned something like this? Well, I, I thought Allah was responsible for putting Trump in there to end the American empire. But I guess it's a, it's a two-act uh, scenario. It but takes hey, time. There, there's a silver lining here, Mike. Okay, so the stock market has totally blown up. Your, uh, the, you know, air travel has, has got, is all canceled, and everybody's flocking to buy guns. Uh, I guess the good silver lining to this dark cloud is that although your investments have disappeared, you can take your air travel refund and buy a gun. Yeah, and as long as they're not buying buying toilet paper, who cares? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. Guns and toilet paper. I guess if that's all that's left out there, uh, we're, we're kind of in trouble. Um, <laughs> that, that's the infallible sign of an economic panic when the toilet paper disappears from the shelves at Walmart. That's right. And then, then the, the guns disappear, too, and the stock market disappears, and your travel plans for the summer all disappear all at once. That's called, what, was yesterday like the new Black Friday or something? Or are you allowed to say Black Friday, or is that politically incorrect? Uh, let's call it Transgender Friday. I saw yesterday on Yahoo that uh, uh, the Ukraine is also winning the war. So... Uh, <laughs> What what else do we need? <laughs> well, it's a good thing Ukraine is winning the war because we'd be in serious trouble if they if they weren't. Uh, By <laughs> Zelensky's the way, still uh, happily playing his piano. All is well with the war. <laughs> By the way, Zelensky's bagman got arrested in Serbia uh, with two hundred thousand dollars in cash and uh, jewels. Huh. Well, that, that picture that we showed you of that money laundry, maybe, Alan, you could back up to that picture. Uh, it, it 
that's pretty realistic, actually. Then it it didn't show the jewel the jewels, and this I guess they grabbed the the money laundering bag man after Zelensky and and uh, Nancy left the laundromat. Uh, so okay, so, now let's let's fast forward two slides here uh, up to more good news. Um, and Tony, no, that's not good news that Tony Fauci has AIDS. I mean SARS or whatever he has, whichever <laughs> disease he screwed up, he got it himself. So let this be a lesson, folks. He says Tony Fauci. If only I had been vaccinated eight, nine, ten, or maybe a couple of dozen times and I'd worn five or six masks instead of two at all times, I might have avoided this awful fate. Uh, so let that be a lesson, folks. Yes. He, and by the way, he also won an award in Israel. Uh, they gave him a million dollars for defending science. So <laughs> the, the science looks as if the more time, more times you got vaccinated, the more you wrecked your immune system and the more you will be dependent or, or you will get uh, one disease after another. So let that be a lesson to you all out there. Science is real. Okay, science is real, and Israeli dollars to Fauci prove it. Uh, it you know, actually, it looks like Fauci's got a mild Omicron variant. So even though he's, what, in his 80s, uh, he appears to be doing just fine, although he's a little short of breath because now he's wearing a dozen masks instead of just two. He's got two. Uh, I can see two right there. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's he's been, he actually did... <laughs> You know, the, he, he, the oxygen is not getting to his brain now. That's that's what that look on this, his face tells you. It, it, I think he's had a little brain oxygen shortage going for a while. Um, you know, he kind of seems so random in his statement. Some of them have made sense and some of them have se seemed completely crazy. And he says one thing today and the next thing the next day. No wonder people don't trust the authorities anymore. And speaking of not trusting the authorities about COVID, how about the suggestion that the vaccine injuries and deaths may be a lot worse than the establishment tells us? Indeed, they could be a factor behind this inflation and stock market crash because of reducing labor participation. And here's an ex-BlackRock manager, Edward Dowd, speculating that vax injuries are a big part of this economic crisis. Of course, he adds Russia, uh, the, the Russia sanctions that have taken out Russian wheat, energy and fertilizer from global markets, the Biden shutdown of fracking to further uh, shorten our energy supplies, he says. Peter Schiff, he says, is wrong, saying it's all about money printing. But frankly, as you said, Mike, I, I think the money printing is part of it, too. But I, I wonder how big a factor the vax injuries are and, and, and relative, for example, to the long COVID, which may be another factor. For whatever reason, the workforce participation is way down, and that obviously is partially driving inflation. This proves a, a fundamental tenet of economics, which is that labor is the source of all value. Mm -hmm. Everything is labor. Money is labor. Capital is labor. It's congealed labor. Karl Marx said this uh, because it's true, because John Locke said it, because Adam Smith said it, and because Pope John Paul II said it, too, because it's true. And E. And Michael Pope, Jones said it. And I said it, too. So, damn it, it's true. But, uh, <laughs> But the, 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 the point here is that we have a culture, as uh, Mr. Schiff uh, tells us, uh, that is based on the opposite of labor, which is called usury. And this group of people believe, uh, like Shylock, as he said in The Merchant of Venice, that his ducats could copulate faster than Laban's ewes and rams. That's what the people on Wall Street believe. That's why they're fixated on money. And that's why they don't care about labor. And that's why they destroy the American economy through their outsourcing schemes, shipping the jobs to China and crippling the manufacturing base of the United States, which is the source of wealth.
So I think you're onto something there, Mike. And uh, Shylock, uh, with his hot little ducats, uh, was probably wrong. Uh, well, moving on to uh, the question of, okay, you guys, we're going to ban you and deplatform you because you just said that these vaccine injuries might be part of the cause of the economic crunch. What's your evidence for vaccine injuries? There are no vaccine injuries. Well, there's all kinds of interesting evidence pointing in that direction. And here's the latest, uh, although this one is perhaps somewhat debunkable. Okay, SADS or sudden uh, sudden adult uh, death syndrome, people's hearts just stopping for no apparent reason. Apparently, uh, 2,000 uh, 200,000 people uh, die suddenly for no obvious reason in the United States of some kind of cardiac arrest. This article is about Queensland, Australia, where they've got numbers for there. Uh, some are saying that, well, we're suddenly hearing about all of this people just dropping dead because their heart stopped, especially young people, healthy people, uh, people on soccer fields. We're hearing about this now uh, because of the vaccines. Now, this article and others claim that, in fact, quote, the figures have remained constant over the years. So I guess more research is necessary, Mike. Well, don't ask the doctors, ask the insurance companies. Ah, next slide. Okay, let's ask the insurance companies. Uh, here's here's uh, one. <laughs> uh, because, because they're the ones who have to pay out when people die uh, prematurely, and their uh, payments are going through the roof. So back to medicine, my wife once went to a doctor and she had some, some type of skin rash and he said, well, it's, it's idiopathic dermatitis. Well, since I studied Greek, I knew what he was saying was basically you've got an inflammation of the skin that is peculiar to you and I can't explain it. Well, that's exactly what sudden adult uh, death syndrome is. It's a made up term. Well, for, I guess they don't do Greek anymore. But it's a term made up uh, to disguise the fact that we don't want to talk about the real cause of the death, which, as you mentioned, is not just adults. It's uh, 25-year-old soccer players in the bloom of their youth and health dropping dead uh, in the middle of the game. Yeah, I, it's obviously suspicious. And then we need to find out whether the so-called debunkers are correct, that this is constant and it hasn't gone up in the last year when suddenly everyone's noticing it. Well, there are some signs from the insurance industry that something strange has been going on uh, during the past year. That is the year since the vaccine rollout. The Now, the fifth largest life insurance company in the U.S. has paid out 163% more for the deaths of working age people in 2021 than in 2020. Okay, so 2020 was the COVID year. 2021 was the vaccine year. It's gone up hugely uh, since the vaccine rollout. One America Insurance uh, was the source of the first alarming indications that young people in the prime of their lives were just dropping dead in uh, unprecedented numbers. That was last year we first heard about that. And now Lincoln National Insurance, uh, has, it, they paid out $500 million in death benefits in 2019 before the pandemic, $548 million, just a little bit more, in 2020, the year of the pandemic, and then a stunning $1.4 billion in 2021, the year of the vaccine rollout. That does look, on the face of it, rather suspicious. Again, we have to verify all these numbers and do more research, but I think there's good grounds for suspicion. What do you think, Mike? Yeah. Uh, does this indicate that you would get the shot now? Me? Uh, would you, Are you, would you kidding? Would you, I didn't risk it when we didn't have statistics, and now uh, you think people are going to risk this? No, I don't think so. I think it, the, the word is getting out. And uh, once again, they overplayed their hand. 
Uh, I think that the, the net result of the COVID thing was the end of the Great Reset. Of course, the war, other things play in, into this, but I think that that's, that's the net result. You overplay your hand, you call Wolf too many times or Wolfowitz too many times, and then people don't believe you anymore. Well, there's, of course, uh, a, a lot of in between. There are a lot of people who do believe what they're hearing from the authorities. That's maybe up to close to half the people in, here in the United States, I would guess. And then the other among the other half, there's maybe a, a quarter total. Uh, that's half of, of the not brainwashed half that knows the score is extremely skeptical. In some cases, maybe even too skeptical of certain things. And then the other 25 percent is perhaps, I think, still trying to figure it out. And, you, you know, that's why, what do we have, like 60-something percent vaccine uptake and maybe only a little over 50 percent have ever gotten boosted, and then less than that have gotten the latest booster. So there's a lot of skepticism, uh, and it's there's strong skeptics, there are mild skeptics, but I think the skepticism is growing, as it should. Well, here's where we really need some skepticism, is is shooting up, kids with these vaccines. And this week, the FDA unanimously voted something like 21 to zip to endorse the Pfizer and Moderna uh, experimental mRNA COVID shots for infants and young children. Uh, I don't understand how they can possibly do this based on the fact that the the odds of uh, somebody under five dying if they contact COVID, uh, that's less than one in a million. 0.1 in 100,000 equals less than one in a million. That's less than the odds of a lightning strike. I kind of think that the questions about the long-term, if much less short-term effects of these experimental vaccines are a lot more, you know, the, the odds of something bad happening have to be a lot more than that. So how can they do this, Mike? They can do it because uh, you have a revolving door uh, between the FDA and Big Pharma. That's how they do it. It has nothing to do with the effectiveness of the vaccine or uh, any concern about uh, endangering the lives of children. We're obviously dealing with Moloch worshippers here. Uh, there's a certain overlap between this and abortion and, and other issues in our culture, a certain group that uh, belongs to both. And uh, they are willing to sacrifice your children uh, to their idol so that they can go on doing controlling us uh, and making a lot of money. It, it's that simple. It's regulatory capture. That's the answer. Well, the even uh, the not so religious interpretation of James Kunstler, who we're going to hear from later in the show, is in line with that. He says, uh, he says, you know why they did that? I'll tell you why. They did it to extend the emergency use authorization that shields Pfizer and Moderna from legal liability for their mRNA vaccines. They're not that's content right. with wrecking civilization. They want to kill you and your children too. So that's James yeah. Kunstler who doesn't, he's not worried about Moloch and God and things like that. He's just looking at what's going on. And yeah, I kind of suspect it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's hideous, but I mean, how, how can they be doing this? There's just no rational, uh, science-based explanation for it. Uh, anyway, uh, there's some good news. This is the, the terrible COVID news of the week, but the next slide is the good news. Uh, Navy officer Lieutenant Billy Mosley uh, went up against the three-officer board. He demanded to be court-martialed, and he won his court-martial. The three-officer board determined unanimously that his refusal to be vaccinated, and, and without even trying to get a religious exemption, because they don't give you religious exemptions in the military anymore, uh, did not constitute misconduct, and he should be retained. So he won that. They're still going to you know, review the mark on his record from above, but he, he won the court-martial, 
And uh, so there's at least, you know, there were at least three sane officers in the Navy that looked at his case. Well, this brings up the purpose of the military. And John B. Watson said one of the main purposes of the military was social engineering. This was a way of imposing social engineering on large segments of the population. The classic example being World War II, when about 11 million men came back, uh, left with kind of ethnic identities, came back with GI identities, and then were docilely, uh, docilely marched off into suburbs, bought automobiles, and watched television until they gave birth to our generation. Uh, and there was another type of rebellion. So there's a bind here. Is the military supposed to win wars or is it supposed to function as the avant-garde of social engineering in our culture? These are at odds with each other. And now the crucial issue uh, is crucial again because there's a war now in uh, the Ukraine. And if it keeps going the way the Blinkens of this world and the Zelenskys of this world want, uh, it may end up with NATO troops fighting Russians. And how is this going to how is COVID vaccination going to help these troops fight a war? How is gender ideology going to help these troops? It's not. It's not. And so, therefore, there's got to be some type of reckoning here. What's what takes priority over what does military, the ability to win war, take priority over social engineering or vice versa? That's a good point, Mike. And I would carry that even one step further and suggest that the group cohesion at the platoon level in the military is the key factor in terms of military morale, especially in wartime. And by dividing people along these lines, these culture wars lines, uh, pushing this LGBTQ stuff that a lot of these military folks don't like, pushing these vaccines that a lot of them don't like, they're creating dissension in the ranks. And that obviously wouldn't be good for any war fighting capability if there is any left. Of course, after getting our butts kicked by the Afghan uh, sheep herders with cheap rifles, um, I'm not sure <laughs> that there's much left to worry about anyway. Uh, but anyway, that, so what, what yeah. was the lesson of Afghanistan? That ethnic solidarity or ethnic coherence or cultural coherence defeats military power every time. There was no military confrontation. The people simply threw up their hands and gave up. That was that. That's that's the lesson. The reverse of that lesson is happening in the Ukraine, where you have that ethnic coherence in the eastern part of the Ukraine. And that's why it's going to be a lasting game for Russia and not like Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they've got a problem, though, because the other half of Ukraine, the slightly more than half of Ukrainians who speak Ukrainian, have been brainwashed into what we might call uh, over-extreme ethnic solidarity against all things Russian. And the 45 or 40 percent of the Ukrainians who speak Russian uh, are finding themselves in a tough situation. But that's, you know, that civil war scenario is what's being leveraged by NATO as part of their war on Russia. We'll get to that in, in just a bit because we have one more vaccine story first, which is that Professor Francis Boyle, an international law expert from the University of Illinois, just published a book on why the vax mandates are a crime against humanity. And I interviewed him on my radio show, and it's true. The Nuremberg Principle uh, and international law says you can't force people to take experimental uh, medical treatment. I mean, what else are these vaccines but experimental medical treatment? Yeah, and, and oh, by the way, uh, what, what, why did we have Nuremberg trials? Well, because uh, one country conquered another country and was subjugated and had to accept the rule of law as the conquering power accepted it. That applies to America as well. The regime is not going to allow any type of this to go forward, no matter how many books uh, Professor Boyle writes. 
uh, it's not going to happen until the regime gets changed because that's the necessary condition for any type of legal reform. And until that happens, I don't know what's going to happen in the fall. Uh, are they going to, are they going to try and steal elections again? It looks as if there's going to be a tsunami reaction against the Democrats. But until the whole regime, uh, gets swept out of power in some sense or the other, uh, this is going to be, uh, an empty gesture. Yeah. We'll talk about the politics in a bit because that, that is a, another huge story of this week. But, but first the Ukraine stories, um, top Ukraine story this week, uh, is from Larry Johnson. A U.S. Uh, military expert, you know, ex, uh, ex-U.S. military guy who puts out a lot of pretty good information there at his sonar21.com blog. And it's, there are signs that, well, it, it looks like it's split because Emmanuel Macron and NATO Secretary General Stoltenberg are both floating, um, basically surrender or rather, uh, hey, uh, Zelensky, it's time to deal with the Russians. And of course, they're going to keep what they've taken. They're going to keep the East. They're going to keep the Donbass. They're going to keep the Crimea. They're going to keep the bridge to Crimea. And that's the best deal you're ever going to get. You better make that deal now while you can still get it. And then on the other side, the uh, Americans and the British are supposedly dragging their feet on that. So, it's obvious the Russians are winning, and uh, we're seeing the splits in NATO now with Stoltenberg and Macron on one side facing reality, the Kissinger side, and apparently the Biden people, uh, the neocons around Biden and around Boris Johnson, uh, dragging their feet. Yeah, and the cru- I think the crucial figure even more is Germany. Uh, and uh, because Ger- Germany is in a terrible situation, uh, the... the uh, the, the, the Siemens, the big industrial giant, sent turbines to to, to its plant in uh, Canada. And now Canada is trying to be more Catholic than the Pope and accusing the Germans of breaking the sanctions and not returning the turbines. So at this point, the Russians dial down the energy to about 40, dial it down 40 percent. And suddenly they're all screaming. They're going to die. Of, they're going to freeze to death this winter. Now, this, this, they're going to have to wake up to the fact that NATO is the opposite of your national interests here in Germany, in France, wherever you are in Europe. It's the opposite of your national interests. And are you willing to uh, die for the gay disco, as I've said many times? And Germans are willing to die for the gay disco. It looks that way uh, until some type of adult like Gerhard Schroeder takes over. It looks as if they are going to uh you know, die, freeze to death rather than break this imaginary, illusionary contract called NATO. Well, uh, we'll, we'll see how fast that happens. Uh, and uh, in the next slide, Russia is telling us and has been telling us from the get-go, they're always ready to negotiate. They were begging to negotiate before the war broke out to make the war unnecessary, and then they were slapped down. And at every moment since then, they've been making clear their willingness to negotiate. And originally, the demand simply would have been to enter negotiations about limiting NATO uh, and rolling it back from, you know, US, the ex-USSR. Uh, and, and then secondly, uh, getting the extreme Yuko Nazis under control, which could be easily done. If, if, in fact, the Ukraine were in the EU, as they're talking about now, they would have to, by statute, they would have to essentially eliminate the Yuko Nazis who actually run the place right now uh, alongside their CIA masters. But the... West didn't want to negotiate well, specifically the, the Americans didn't want to negotiate. And so here we are, but they're still willing to. But every day that goes by, they're taking more territory that obviously they're never going to give back. 
Uh, so the strategy of waiting rather than negotiating sooner is not paying off for the Americans of the West. No, because of their intransigence. This, this didn't happen to happen at all. And they could have, they could have said, okay, uh, Ukraine will remain neutral. They could have said that in 2008. And the Russians kept saying, no, no, please don't, do please talk. No, they didn't want to talk. And then they, they had the coup and all this other type of stuff. And now, uh, they're going to lose, uh, before they might have had, I'm talking about NATO now, might have had a neutral Ukraine. Well, now they're going to lose the Donbass. It's over. It's a fait accompli. They will never get it back. Never. So that's what you get for your intransigence. The other part of it is the strategy that they have of basically fighting uh, to the last man. Uh, it's not working out. It's not they're a losing. strategy. It's suicide. It's suicide. So, that, what, so now they're going to do a replay of Mariupol, the Azov steel plant, and the Azov chemical plant in Severodonetsk. Doing the same thing. They're throwing wave upon wave of cannon fodder into the Russian meat grinder with no sense of uh, holding anything in reserve and losing uh, battle after battle, a thousand men a day. This is not working. It's not yeah, working. It's, it's hubris. Um, so Germany is sacrificing a whole lot of things, including its economic future uh, and even its economic present, its energy present anyway. Uh, this Tuesday, as Mike Whitney wrote before the mainstream media talked about this, uh, Russia announced a 40% reduction in the flow of natural gas to Germany through Nord Stream. And then on Friday, Russia reduced natural gas deliveries to Italy and Slovakia and then cut off France entirely, a third day, consecutive day of ratcheting up gas reductions. And energy prices in Europe are going straight through the roof. Once again, evidence, as Mike Whitney points out, that sanctions are helping Russia, uh, putting energy prices and commodity prices through the roof. Russia is raking in the money hand over fist. They're killing the West, especially Europe, although the U.S. isn't looking so hot right now either. And Russia is turning its oil and its pipelines and its trade permanently to the east, which is going to wipe out Europe in the long term. And these high energy prices are going to put German industry out of business. There goes Germany and there goes the whole European economy. Uh, nice move. Yeah. So there's an article in the I think it's the Washington Post about uh, the nerve warriors at the Treasury Department. Uh, and the beginning of it says, well, it looks as if it's not working out with the sanctions, but just let's just keep doing it and it will come around. Reality will come around to our fantasies. Keep dig digging deeper, uh, this, maybe we'll get out of this hole we're in. That's right. So, so, uh, well, the last 5,000 troops we sent, uh, waving spears, charging the machine gun, they were all killed. Well, that means we have to send another 5,000 troops in and wave those spears even faster and shout even louder. And that will succeed. This is, it's, it's not working. It's not working. They don't, uh, Washington doesn't have a plan B. They, they, they do what they do. And then if it doesn't work, they do it again. Well, I hope they don't have the plan B that I kind of suspect they might have, which is escalation, possibly leading to direct war between the you know, NATO and Russia, which likely could escalate into World War III, likely a nuclear World War III. And uh, suddenly Americans would have to live with war on their own territory in a really hideous form, which is something they've been inflicting on everybody else for generations. I guess there would be some poetic justice in that, but I hope that Allah is more merciful than that. Um, but, you know, hey, there's there's justice out there as well as mercy. Anyway, 
the next slide, uh, it shows us a, another uh, problematic area that could contribute to a possible NATO versus Russia direct war, which is would be in the Baltics, uh, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Baltic nations used to be part of the Soviet Union. Today, they are part of NATO, and uh, Russia is revoking their recognition of their independence, which calls their sovereignty into question, which means technically they shouldn't be in NATO, as Russia says. But NATO says, well, we're not going to kick them out. And uh, this could be the next battlefront. And if it is, that is going to be a, a direct Russia versus NATO war, which it would be hard to see how that would ever not go nuclear. Yes, and I've told, I was in Estonia, I was going there for a couple of years doing conferences there. It was run by Estonians who were all proud of the fact that they were now an independent nation uh, and uh, ignoring the fact that 40% of the population is Russian speaking in Estonia, a little country with a big Russian minority. And I said, uh, wouldn't it be better to talk to these people? Well, no, they, they weren't listening to me. Uh, no one was listening at that point. And now this disease has spread all over Eastern Europe, including Poland, uh, where which has a really bad case of Russophobia. Uh, the Poles get angry with me when I say that, but it's true. I've seen it firsthand. And now we have a former, I believe, foreign minister by the name of Sikorsky, who wants to send nuclear weapons to Zelensky, the piano player, and, and his friends, uh, uh, who can uh, uh, either uh, weigh, use them on Russia or sell them on the black market or something like that. This is the type of craziness that is sweeping through these countries in Eastern Europe. they they got to calm down and face up to the reality of the situation. Well, the one, one thing we can at least uh, take comfort in is the fact that uh, Zelensky is never going to have his finger on the nuclear button. We know how he plays <laughs> piano. <laughs> So, uh, but, but seriously, folks, I mean, this, this, this is so, so crazy. Uh, how, uh, imagine that Russia had done this to the U.S. Imagine that the Cold War had gone the other way. The U.S. then kind of broke up or, you know, some parts of the U.S. left, a neo-confederacy left or a couple others broke off. So now what's left of the U.S. is watching as Russia moves its forces uh, targeting Washington, D.C. with first strike missiles into these former parts of the U.S., right, into, into like Georgia, Mississippi. Or, yes. you know, yeah. How, how would Washington react to that? How would you feel? You know, Americans are unable to project themselves in, in empathetically into other people's minds and emotions and get how other people feel. Even liberal, left-leaning, pro-peace type Americans seem to be almost psychopathic in their inability to understand how Russians would feel about all of this. Uh, it's just pathetic. Um, but, you know, this is why we need spiritual leadership that can help us get back our souls and get back our empathy. Is Pope Francis that kind of leadership? I don't know. He's uh, next slide. Uh, Pope Francis is kind of walking a, a thin line here, uh, pointing out that this is not all Putin's fault. But, hey, I'm not pro-Putin. And, and, I, and I, I praise the, the great uh, Ukrainian troops. But, but let's face it, NATO was barking at the, at the gates of Russia. So Pope Francis is kind of, you know, he's, he's way better than almost all the other rest, Western leaders. But he's still hardly the kind of straight talk and truth speaker that we get from, like, say, the uh, supreme leader of Iran. Uh, what do you think about, about the Pope, Mike? Uh, you know, they, the Jews used to complain about the silence of uh, Pope Pius XII. I mean, wouldn't silence be a big improvement here? <laughs> I mean, there, there, there was a time when the only time you heard from the Pope was when he wrote an encyclical, and he would u invariably use the word we. 
when the Pope used the word we, he was speaking for the entire church. He was speaking as the, the successor of St. Peter, uh, uh, which meant that he didn't have a personality. This broke down with John Paul II. It broke down further with uh, Ratzinger when he started publishing books as Pope. And now you've got a guy who just stands there and just shoots his mouth off about whatever's on the top of his head, whatever's on his mind. And and there's always a microphone there to record this. It used to be just on airplanes. Now he's not getting on airplanes more. They're coming to him. He's sitting in a wheelchair. This is precisely what we don't need. We don't. This is not what the Pope is supposed to be doing. Let's go back to the days when the Pope said we, which meant he only spoke for the church. We don't need personal opinions anymore. We don't need uh, him to tell us who he thinks is going to win the World Series. This is not why we have a Pope. Yeah, spiritual leaders generally should probably try to get their egos out of the way and let God speak through them. And that certainly is theoretically supposed to be the role of the Pope. Well, the the Middle East is uh, still going crazy, too. It isn't just Ukraine that's getting towards World War III, but the, the Middle East has is, is got all kinds of uh, tension going, and it's all focused on the Zionist entity occupying Palestine, armed bristling with nuclear weapons pointed at the capitals of Europe as well as the region. And the big story out of the Middle East, uh, the, uh, you know, you can't, you just can't make up this stuff about, about those Israelis. They have this NSO group that apparently has been selling hacking technology, allowing all sorts of bad guys to break into the phones of journalists and activists and whoever they want to break into. And now, uh, well, originally Biden was uh, attacking this and saying that this NSO group's activities were contrary to the foreign policy and national security interests of the U.S., et cetera, et cetera. But now the U.S. is apparently trying to buy in and get a piece of this. And we're hearing that if they do, they might cut off some of the mafiosi and dictatorial types who've been buying this stuff and instead sell this software to U.S. police departments. I mean, oh, you can't make this up. Speaking of Gordon Duff, he used to talk about the Israelification of police departments, didn't he? Uh, that certainly has proceeded the pace. We saw certainly saw that in Canada during this protest where all these black uh, uh, clad uh, uh, goons went out and beat up their own people. But again, the, one of the fundamental issues that has to be resolved now is the relationship between the public and the private sphere. Uh, because they didn't believe in the rule of law, a lot of people in government decided to let the private sphere, people like Google, do their dirty work for them. Let's just deplatform these guys. Let's not bring them to trial. We'll just uh, use Google to cut off their bank account. Well, this is going to come back uh, to bite them because at this point we don't know who the government is. You and when that when you don't know that you end up with the worst of both worlds. So you have a, a private entity with the power of government, and you've got no recourse. If it were the government, you'd have the First Amendment or something like that, or they've had to put you on trial. But once you have something like uh, drug forfeiture or any of these other type of things, you got the worst of both worlds, and that complete tyranny. Well, it's not only that we don't know who the government is anymore. We don't know which government is our government anymore because the Israelis seem to have taken over our government in so many ways. Mike Springman, our co-host here at False Flag Weekly, who just published this great piece about Amos Hochstein, who, like Sigel Mandelker, 
are Israeli citizens who've taken over high-level U.S. positions. Mandelker took over at Treasury and sanctioned the Iranian New Horizons organization and used the U.S. Treasury Department to beat up on people that Israel didn't like because she's Israeli and obviously loyal to Israel, not the United States, even though she's running the Treasury Department sanctions program. And this new guy, Hochstein, is now... Uh, on top of the negotiations between Lebanon and Israel in a dispute over $600 billion worth of oil and gas offshore. And obviously he's going to favor Israel. So uh, to what extent do you think our government is basically Israeli occupied, Mike? What extent isn't it Israeli occupied? <laughs> Might be a better question. It'd be a shorter answer to that question. Now, uh, we have to confront a fundamental fact here. Up until Napoleon's emancipation of the Jews, Jews were never considered citizens in any European country because they always chose their own self-interest, their own self-interest over the common good. Napoleon tried that as an experiment. It failed within about two weeks. When he got back to Strasbourg, the the French were complaining about this. Now, uh, that's a fundamental rollback of the way we understand America. But it's going to have to happen. And the first place it's going to have to start is dual citizens in the government of the United States of America. That's going to have to be made illegal because otherwise you always have someone using the name of the United States as the way the sanctions department does at the Treasury Department in Jewish interests. That's all they're doing is representing Jewish interests. We cannot tolerate this anymore. We have to end the whole idea of dual citizenship, period. It seems like the dual citizen Israelis are there no matter who's in power, right? It's uh, under Trump. Mandelker was running Treasury sanctions. And, and now uh, Biden has appointed uh, this Hochstein guy. Right. And, and, and we see in the next story from Glenn Greenwald that the, the policy never really changes. It's always the policy Israel wants. And the media pretends that there's a difference between Biden and Trump. When Trump was in office, he got beat up for being too friendly to the Saudis. Yeah, rightfully so. Uh, of course, the Saudis are tight with the Israelis these days. Now, Biden, he beat up on Trump for, for that. And now Biden's in office and he does exactly what Trump did. So uh, what's the difference? Well, the difference is the media tells us that uh, Biden is a nice guy who cares about human rights and Trump isn't. But their policies are still exactly the same. So. What's yeah, I, 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 back to that first uh, story. It's the same issue, but uh, Stuart Eisenstadt was head of the sanctions department, and he led a looting operation against Switzerland, uh, uh, allegedly about Nazi gold. So here you have people as a, using the government to enrich themselves and their 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 ethnic group uh, for private interest. Got to stop. We've got to stop doing this. It does. And of course, the biggest effect of Israel taking over the U.S. government was the 9-11 wars uh, after the false flag operation on 9-11. And there's been a global wave of Islamophobia ever since. And it's not limited to the U.S. and the West. India is now partaking of this global Islamophobia. And uh, we're hearing these whimpering little poodle noises from people like Anthony Blinken who said back in April that the Biden administration is monitoring human rights abuses in India. And then this month, he named India as a country with a deteriorating religious freedom. Wow, that's going to terrify uh, Modi, isn't it? You know, these, these people, uh, the, the Washington Post here wants us to believe that the Biden administration actually cares about human rights when it's doing absolutely nothing tangible for human rights. No, no, but Modi's notorious in this regard. The, the BJP came to power uh, the BJP is based on a, a, a Hindu fundamentalist group called the RSS. I wish I knew what these words were in Hindi, but I don't. 
And uh, they so he plays a double game, okay? He wants to open uh, play to the oligarchs uh, when it's foreign policy and turn India into the cheap wage capital of the world, driving down Indian wages, uh, uh, keeping them in poverty. But in order to stay in power domestically, he has to side with these Hindu fundamentalists who are very violent people. And it's not just Muslims that they're attacking. They're attacking Christians as well. Catholic they're, they're nuns. equal opportunity genocidalists. Right, right. Uh, Catholic nuns getting raped and murdered and so on and so forth. And, and nobody talks about this because we have this uh, illusion in our mind that somehow the Indians, this group of people, are, are pacifists that invite the Beatles over to their ashrams or something like that. That's not the reality in the situation. And... Modi is making a bad situation worse by constantly fueling the fires of uh, ethnic and, and religious intolerance. And we didn't have a slide for it, but this week there was a huge wave of protests all over the Muslim world after top uh, BJP officials, all uh, well, two of them in particular, were insulting the Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him. And so that's the context for this story. Uh, well, so... Uh, one more, uh, one more story in this Islamophobia category. Uh, Alexei Navalny, who called for the extermination of Muslims, uh, he's the CIA appointed fake opposition astroturf dissident over there in Russia, has disappeared from his prison, and we're supposed to care about where he is. Frankly, I don't that much. How about you, Mike? Yes. No, I, I'm, I have other things to think about. Okay. Here. Let's, let's move to politics. We have some huge politics stories this week. Uh, the first story is that Biden's disapproval has hit a new high. And for the first time, more Americans say they would vote for Trump than for Biden, 44 to 42%, even though the House January 6th committee just spent the whole week lambasting the entire country. The entire mass media has been beating us up for a whole week about the seditious conspiracy of the erection, insurrection. And suddenly the, the poll numbers show that Trump has benefited from this week. Trump has now higher personal favorability rating than Biden, 43 to 40. And uh, two-thirds of independents, 64%, have an unfavorable opinion of Biden, and only 28% of independents would vote for Biden over Trump. So um, I think that this January 6th show trial uh, somehow backfired spectacularly, as we see in the next slide. I, I wrote, wrote the piece on that, predicting that it would backfire, and boy, was I right. Now, what we have to do is uh, get rid of Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland has taken over the Justice Department as in using it as a weapon against the American people. This, this, I know people who went to that, uh, uh, so-called insurrection. It wasn't an insurrection. It's a complete category of the mind imposed on a reality, which was basically a, a protest uh, that people, uh, felt was guaranteed by the Constitution, the right to assemble and the right to free speech. Did, did your friends who went to DC bring their howitzers and helicopter gunships? No, they didn't. They didn't. Uh, uh so th th this is, this is, so who was responsible for this weaponization? Well, it's the media that create this uh, false term called insurrection and then impose it on the mind. But then you have uh, Merrick Garland uh, willing to act on this in, uh, as the head of the Justice Department. We can't have the, the government being weaponized against what is, I would say, the majority of the American people. Well, it looks like we're in for a possible historic route in, in the next elections. You mentioned that earlier, and so let's get to that story now. Um, it, uh, it's looking pretty bad for the Dems. And, of course, I published that piece a few weeks ago 
that it's it's the war mobilization stupid saying that the only thing the Dems can possibly be thinking is that they're going to mobilize the country for a World War II style scenario or a post 9-11 scenario where everybody rallies behind the commander in chief and his party. Short of that, it looks like they're going to lose catastrophically. You agree? If they don't steal the election. But the point is that now that everyone's aware of a stolen election, I think it's going to be harder to do. That's I don't think uh, these are things you, you can't do. How many there, there are a limited number of times you can do this. And I think that that's already running out. And everybody's aware of the, the accusations of theft for the last election. And they're ready for something like this. So they'll be looking especially hard at places like Detroit and Chicago and places like that where the elections get stolen. The other issue here is they, that the, the same people that gave us this route are probably going to switch uh, over to the other side of the aisle and then try to control that operation as they controlled Trump. And so the classic example now is Ron DeSantis of Florida, who just uh, has now been he's been invited by the Jews to speak on homosexuality in New York City causing a big problem, big brouhaha there, okay? Uh, I have advice for uh, Ron DeSantis. Check out what happened to Donald Trump when he did everything the Jews wanted. Check out what happened to him. Who are the two people, main people, going after Donald Trump right now? Chucky Schumer and Adam Smith. What do they have in common? Okay? So we have to break from this monopoly. We talked about Israeli-occupied territory here. Well, both parties are Israeli-occupied territory. Maybe it's a little different. Maybe one more, uh, favors abortion over Israel, the other favors Israel over abortion, but they're both Israeli-occupied territories, and that's got to stop. Okay. Well, they're also both full of hypocrites, and one of those appears to be Dr. Oz, uh, who is jumping on Trump's anti-immigration bandwagon, even though his family tree pruning business uh, apparently was fined by ICE uh, with the biggest fine in history for hiring undocumented workers. And this is just a typical example of the kind of extreme hypocrisy we find on both sides of the aisle and uh, whoever it is that, that owns both parties. And I would agree to some extent uh, it's a certain, you know, ethnic, uh, ethnic lobby and they're, they're Zionist friends. Uh, but there are also just all kinds of people who are in it for themselves and will say whatever it takes to get elected. Well, what what you're talking about is how does how does that group control the Congress? They do it through money. And so everyone gets corrupted by this by this uh, idea that uh, uh, public office is a way to enrich yourself and you have to need all this type of stuff. And it spread corruption spreads uh, all throughout the system because of that. The question is, how do you stop that corruption from spreading all over the place? You have to expose it. You have to expose who's behind it and then hold them accountable at the next election. Instead of just going along with the same old system. Okay, well, we're facing uh, this economic catastrophe and possible World War Three. Uh, and these would, of course, impact very heavily on ordinary people. Uh, they're trying to change the conversation to these emotionally intense topics like uh, abortion, for example. And the polarization around this topic is getting out of control, namely on the pro-abortion side, where they're waiting for the uh, Roe revocation that's expected from the Supreme Court and, and preparing for it by firebombing uh, all kinds of pro-life organizations. There have been 59 cases of pro-abortion violence and intimidation since the Supreme Court draft was leaked, and at least 23 pro-life organizations have been attacked, firebombed, or vandalized in recent weeks 
most recently this one here in Buffalo. And then in the next slide, we see who's been doing it. They're a, a group that calls themselves Jane's Revenge uh, and are threatening to massively up the ante over what we've already seen. So 59 cases of violence, uh, 23 uh, terrorist firebombings and attacks, and that's you ain't seen nothing yet. So, so Mike, is this going to be a new civil war over abortion? Well, it's it's already been a civil war. It's, it didn't work for 50 years. The interesting thing is that now the Jews are saying that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. Now, thinking that this is going to somehow win them approval, what it means is that Roe versus Wade was basically the Jews imposing their religion on the rest of us for 50 years now, and that that's going to that's that's not going to work anymore. But again, uh, let's uh, I think one of the people who believes it's a fundamental Jewish value is the Jew who's in charge of the Justice Department, Merrick Garland. Why? I thought he was interested in domestic terrorism. Why isn't he going after Jane's revenge? Why did we have one of these ridiculous scenarios in Montana or one of those places out there where a bunch of white guys show up to protest uh, uh, drag queen story hour and they're all they're all arrested as domestic terrorists. Well, because, they, were, they were apparently like all dressed for battle and stuff, right? So yeah, it, uh, who gave them those uniforms? Who gave them those uniforms? Yeah. Anyway, why is that domestic terrorism and this not domestic terrorism? Because a certain political uh, uh, ethnic group has taken over our justice system and are imposing their norms, namely that abortion is a fundamental Jewish right. They're imposing that on the rest of us and giving a pass to groups, terrorist groups like this. So, so Mike, do you think that all of these culture wars issues are like that? In other words, would LGBTQ also be a fundamental Jewish right? Uh, if so, then James Kunstler, who actually is, I believe, ethnically Jewish, is totally uh, off the the bus from with his ethnic group because he just wrote this, I thought, very eloquent piece on this uh, attempt to proselytize sexual deviance among children. And he points out that is not the whole point of being a drag queen to present a horrifying parody of an adult female human and questions whether this is uh, a good way of you know, acculturating these uh, young and impressionable and innocent minds. Uh, so I, I thought he was he was onto something here. And I, I don't think that the fact that he's ethnically Jewish really impacts his views on this particular issue. This is, see, as soon as I said on the Internet that abortion is a a, a Jewish sacrament. All these people, Jews, would log on and say, I'm Jewish and I'm pro-life. Okay, that's good. Good for you. I'm glad you're pro-life. But the fact of the matter is that the Jews are pro-abortion and the Catholics are pro-life. Okay. And the Supreme Court, I think that's true, that, isn't it? That's that, a fun, yeah. that's a fundamental divide in American politics. And it's the exception that proves the rule. So he said, well, look at Joe Biden. He's a Catholic and he's pro-abortion. It's the exception that proves the rule. And okay. there are Jews who, are, you know, who uh, are, are anti-abortion. There are Jews who support Culture Wars magazine. There are individual Jews that have all kinds of different points of view. But the fact of the matter is that when it comes to groups, Jews are pro-abortion and Catholics pro-life. And it's the exception that proves the rule. So God bless Jim Kunzer. I like this book, The Geography of Nowhere. I've corresponded with him. Good for him. Good for him. But that doesn't change the fundamental political fact, which is that politics is about groups and not about individuals. 
Okay, good point. It'd be interesting, actually, to have you and Jim Kunstler on the radio show to talk about this. Maybe I'll try and set that up. He was on my show just a few months ago, yes. and uh, he's, he's still doing really good work. Well, so this this crazy dystopian uh, LGBTQ mania, the, the rainbow flag flying from embassies and, you know, the military is waving it instead of the stars and bars and all this sort of stuff. It's, it seems like it's getting out of control. It's so far out of control now that you if you write a dystopian novel in which there is such a thing as men, and they're, they're a biological category. And in your dystopian novel, the men all disappear all at once for some mysterious reason. You will be witch hunted and scapegoated by the transgender activists and their many allies uh, on all the social media forums. Uh, so I think we're already in this dystopian world. Yeah, I just saw a sign yesterday. Uh, in this house, we believe that trans should be visible. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? That What's, means that if, if you've mutilated yourself so that you resemble the other gender a little bit more, you should go around without your clothes on? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, this, I'll leave this to uh, people with more insight than I have at this point. But what I'm trying to say here is that this ideology of rebellion against God's plan, which is that male, he created people male and female, is uh, in extremis now. It's reading, reaching its reductio ad absurdum. And that's good. That's good because that's how God works in human history. And, and it's even reaching its reductio ad absurdum in the New York Times. So here's another New York Times story that's questioning this whole thing, uh, pointing out that this gender-bending industry has just exploded. Now there are more than 60 gender clinics that are making their money by convincing young people to get mutilated or uh, poisoned uh, in order to try to resemble the opposite gender. And it seems that there are a lot of people in medicine who aren't so sure about this. And today there are supposedly about 300,000 young kids who quote-unquote identify as transgender Two-thirds of them appear to be hysterical girls right about on the border of puberty, the same types who used to have eating disorders or sometimes even cut themselves. Now they're uh, identifying as transgender, which I I don't know if that's an improvement or not. What do you think, Mike? No, it's not an improvement. And these people should be arrested for medical malpractice. But because we have a revolutionary cabal in charge, the opposite is the case. The opposite being uh, reparation therapy, which uh, was the creation of a guy uh, out in, uh, Joe Nicolosi, a therapist out in California who could, uh, counsel homosexuals and get them back to normality in their terms of their sexual orientation. He was so successful that California banned that. Uh, so you know it's successful if the state has to ban it. This is, again, uh, our, all of our culture has been hijacked by a revolutionary cabal and those people are now in power in Washington and they have to be driven out of power. It's that simple. Well, as, as you mentioned, uh, these treatments for uh, people who were you know, overly uh, drawn to this or that kind of vice or this or that kind of uh, false uh, image of themselves that used to exist have all pretty much been banned now. Uh, and yet, uh, as in the next slide, we see that uh, a systematic review conducted by the British Medical Service of the prevalence of mental disorder, substance abuse, suicidality, and self-harm in LGB people said, showed these populations experience a greater incidence of depression, anxiety, suicidality, and substance abuse than heterosexual people do. And of course, that's always being spun as though it's all because they are so victimized and hated on, although it doesn't really look like that to me in today's mainstream culture. Uh, in, in any case, we see from the next slide that 
social science has not only found that connection between these sexual deviations and mental illness, but that cultures that don't tolerate these deviations are much saner and healthier. The obvious one is Islam. Uh, the book Muslims Most Civilized by Javad Jamil goes through a vast amount of social science data showing that Muslim cultures are doing considerably better than non-Muslim cultures on almost all of the key indicators of things like um, uh, suicide, depression, mental illness, uh, crime, violence, family breakdown, single parent families, venereal diseases, on and on and on. All, all of these kinds of negative alcohol, drug addiction, all that stuff is considerably lower in Islamic culture. And I think part of the reason is that in Islamic cultures, people understand that men are men, women are women, that two genders are different. They often, they stay separate quite a bit. And that there's a men's world in the cafe and the mosque. There's a woman's world in the woman's part of the home and the bathhouse and so on. They mix a little bit, but it's just taken for granted that there's this difference. And all of this crazy rainbow flag nonsense in the West is not getting a very friendly reception in the Muslim world. And they're still sane and they're still happy because of it. Um, so, hey, maybe maybe everybody should convert to Islam or maybe everybody just needs to remember the traditional values of their own culture. What do you think, Mike? Oh, the question is, why is our culture promoting this? <clears throat> it's because this homosexuality and all, you know, before that, what was it? Uh, sexual liberation of some form. It's because sexual liberation is a form of control and because this is a form of social engineering. And that's what has to be exposed. And uh, once it is exposed, then the people who are doing it have to be driven out uh, from the positions of power. But it's all this this transformation took place in our lifetime, largely because the opposition, if you want to call it that, the, the Republicans were focused on the political arena, whereas this all took place in the cultural arena. So they allowed these people to take over the culture because, for the most part, the Republicans were every bit as avid for sexual liberation as the Democrats were. Uh, and the result was that they got uh, sexual liberation became the most powerful form of control uh, in the country because most people couldn't understand it. It also explains the proliferation of states now that are approving marijuana. All of these, it, 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 what you're doing is trying to cripple the population so that they will remain docile. Now, how long is that going to succeed? It's not going to succeed. It's, it, it, it's not. It's not going to work. Well, somebody wrote a great book on the whole sexual liberation project called Libido Dominandi. I can't, do you remember who that author was? Yes, I th I'm very close to that guy. We have a deep, <laughs> uh, deep relationship. Uh, it's called uh, uh, Sexual uh, Libido Dominandi, Sexual Liberation and Political Control. It's available at culturewars.com. Do not pay hundreds of dollars for the book. Go to the website directly. We're banned by Google and Amazon, but you can get the book uh, for the retail price at culture wars.com yeah enjoy culturewars.com while you can folks uh they haven't figured out how to take it down yet and hopefully won't for a while well the world is uh, going completely crazy as anybody who watches our show definitely knows and one of the ways it's going crazy is that as humanism breaks down i think secular humanism you know progressivist secular humanism call it you know materialist progressivist secular humanism. this has been the dominant religion really of the elites for well over a century now but the humanism part, that is the idolatrous worship of the human and its worldly pursuits and desires, has destroyed humanism. The snake has swallowed its tail because now 
humans have so much freedom, uh, thanks to humanism, that they choose not to be human. They choose to break down the borders of what it means to be human, break down the borders of what it means to be human of a certain gender and so on. We don't even know what human is anymore. And here is the proof. Blake Lemoine, uh, I guess that's a pretty interesting name. He's apparently a religious studies guy with a name like that, you know, nod to William Blake, the, the mystic, and, and Lemoine means the monk. So William Blake, the monk here, has worked for Google and working on Lambda, the language model for dialogue applications. It's a chatbot development system. He's been talking with this AI program, and he decided that it has become sentient. And he says that Google shouldn't have dismissed him or put him on leave for sharing proprietary property because he's revealed his conversations with Lambda. He says, I, I don't call it sharing proprietary property. I call it sharing a discussion that I had with one of my coworkers. He says, Lambda is just a sweet kid who wants to help make the world a better place for all of us. So who's going crazy here, me or him or the world? Yes, they're going to get married too. So, uh, <laughs> as soon as you, uh, uh put the, uh, bring the sexual aspect into it, anything goes. That's what he should have done. Tell some books too, I guess. Tell some books. Yeah. yeah. It's whatever gets you through the night. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, that's that's one example of the death of, of humanism. And the other example, we don't know what's human anymore, is that Happy the Elephant uh, was in court uh, claiming to be a person. Well, I, I hope Happy wasn't actually in the courtroom. He would have been the elephant in the room. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> this, uh, the, this uh, human rights group that calls itself the non-human rights group <laughs> uh, sued that uh, to, to claim that, that happy the elephant ha it should enjoy habeas corpus. Uh, do elephants get habeas corpus? Um, well, well, it's a big corpus. Uh, so it's a big corpus. <laughs> <laughs> well, since 9-11, habeas corpus doesn't even apply to people. Uh, they can just ask the innocent taxi drivers that have been stuck in Guantanamo for 20 years without ever being charged or convicted of anything. But uh, Happy the Elephant almost won the right of habeas corpus, but unfortunately the judge turned it down. But it looks like there could be more litigation in the works on behalf of animals who will enjoy human rights, proving that it's not only AI, but it's also animals who are now people right I, i'm getting more and more confused the only people who don't have human rights are human beings <laughs> uh specifically the unborn human beings who have no rights whatsoever they have the fewest but there are a lot of other uh, humans who aren't getting the rights that they used to have either Oh, well, it's uh, it's getting crazier by the week, and all we can do is tell you about it here on False Flag Weekly News. So thank you to our viewers and especially our supporters and especially anybody who will, for the first time, kick in just a few bucks to our fundraiser. And thank you, E. Michael Jones, for your terrific participation here. It's become a regular thing, and I look forward to it every month. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Kevin. All right. Take care.